The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, this is Jack Vincent, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Hersko. Uh, once again, we are in another episode of the Takasans. We're going to be talking about theory of constraints. Uh, and in the next episode, in this episode, uh, which is the next one of our series, we are uh, greatly honored to have a talk extraordinaire on the call with us. We have Mr. Jack Vincent. Jack, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, it is our pleasure. The pleasure is ours. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about Critical chain project management. Now, hold on. Everybody who's listening is going, wait, you're an Agile show. Why are you talking about critical chain project management? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all being, it's a theory of constraints related uh, way of looking at projects. Second reason is I guarantee you most of us who are call ourselves Agile still work in companies that have project managers and some concept of a project. And the third thing is, as someone who is a quote unquote reformed project manager, uh, I did not come across any of this at all whatsoever when I was doing my PMBOK classes. And I honestly think this is 10,000 times better than Waterfall. It takes a lot of the things that we seem to um, hold important in, in the Agile world into account. So with that, uh, we're going to dive right in. But first, Jack, um, for our listeners that may not be familiar with you, uh, I sidle up next to you in a bar and I say, hey, who are you and what do you do? Your answer is? I am a consultant. I work with a lot of companies and my real focus is on helping companies create flow. and. Um, whether and, and primarily around projects. So enabling, getting those projects unstuck, figuring out what's causing the projects, the project system to get stuck and, and really finding ways to, to unblock that flow and, and enable flow. I focus on using the, the theory of constraints concepts in that, um, but there's a lot of good concepts and a lot of people have had a lot of great things and I try to uh, employ whatever makes sense um, or in that, in that context. Right, right. Uh, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. The, yeah. the key is having a multiple types of hammers to, to know exactly. which one to use. So how did you come, get into, Jack, how did you come across mm. um, critical chain project management? So um, I first came across it through some colleagues. I worked at a, a pharmaceutical company in Chicago uh, called Searle. And we were, I had my, a couple of my colleagues were looking at using, uh, improving how we did projects. Um, this was in the days in pharmaceuticals where the big blockbusters in, in many companies, it's where Lipitor came out, it's where um, we were working on Celebrex, it's where um, Pfizer had Vioxx, like all these big multi-billion dollar drugs were coming out. And the big push was we need to find ways to get these products from like the first idea to market way faster. It was like, <laughs> it's a 10 year process. And I think it's still in that ballpark. Um, but one of the things that, you know, so it's, a, that's a Mongo project. And, and if you know anything about pharmaceuticals, it's, they, they investigate thousands and thousands of compounds of molecules before they finally get to the one over many years that, that is gonna, the one that they're going to take to market. And many of those don't even make it through the, the trials that you hear about um, for clinical trials. But um, one, one big piece of that is the, the projects within that massive project, right? So um, I'm, my background's in engineering, chemical engineering, and we were looking at, well, how do, we get, how do we get through just the engineering phase of this? How do we figure out how to make this stuff more effectively? How do we figure out how to get it from, well, we know how to make it in a couple hundred grams to we can make it in several hundred kilograms, right? So in that context, we were really investigating many, many options of, of enabling uh, people to work better. I, being a 
kind of a polyglot interest. I was interested in knowledge management, which was really focused on how do people learn things? How do people keep things together? How do they remember what they did last year? All that, it was a, mm. it was a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things we were looking at was project management. And um, we were, I mean, I had a colleague who was looking at um, finite simulation of the pilot plant. Like, how do we, how do we op, you know, super optimize the pilot plant? And of course, a couple of years later, I learned that, wait a minute, the pilot plant should never be optimized. It should never be fully loaded because it's a it's a resource that needs to be available instantaneously. And if it's optimized, it means you're probably not going to be loaded instantaneously. If you think of Little's Law and you've got all this stuff working on it and well, okay, what if you need an emergency job run through the pilot plant? It needs to have capacity. So that was an interesting discovery. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so my first experience with, with theory of constraints was in that in that context, right? Uh, we're trying all these things. And, and one of the actually, so we, we were looking at finite element scheduling. And then we also looked at, well, what if we just think about the, the work getting to the pilot plant and through the pilot? What if we think of that as a project and, and flow the work that way? And we, we um, I will say we learned a lot, but we didn't really succeed in using that concept in the context of the pilot mm -hmm. plant. And, and I think later discovering because of the, we made some assumptions about the way that the pilot plant should be operating and loaded as to um, in, in, in the context of a project. If you think about the idea of a constraint um, in theory of constraints, uh, it, it just, it, it didn't work out for a number of reasons, but I learned about it. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting concept. And then of course, a couple of years later, I continued working with that same group of people. And now we were in, um, we had been merged with, <laughs> with another company um, still in the pharmaceutical industry. And now we had um, research, we had manufacturing facilities, we were building new facilities, and we, we needed some mechanism to be able to really understand what was what was going on in all these projects. And we had learned a little bit more about critical chain, and really like, okay, we're going to use critical chain to manage our research projects to manage this, there was one particular, uh, a new pilot plant, biological pilot plant, you know, like class mm -hmm. 10,000 facility um, that was being built that of course was having all the classic problems, right? There was a concrete shortage. There was a labor issue there. Like, you, you name them, they, they were all happening. Um, and then we were also managing a number of our late stage projects, uh, drug projects with, with this same concept. And the issue, the, the big challenge for that at that point was, you know, almost every project environment, you know, what's your issue? And then you've got your long list of a hundred things, right? Yep, yep. And it was every week, here's all these, all this stuff that we got to fix. And we, once we started implementing critical chain, we started finding number one, we had a project plan, which we really didn't have before. We, you know, we had the thing on the back of an envelope or somebody's Excel file mm -hmm. that nobody ever looked at again. Um, and then the, the, the next time, the next, once we started getting into the habit of, well, what's the thing that's blocking this project? We could use the techniques, and we'll talk about these, I think, in this in this conversation about what are some of these techniques, but we could use the techniques. Of, what is the one thing that's blocking this project right now? And they shifted, you know, the, 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 the leadership team shifted from a, a weekly, you know, half day long slog fest of all yeah. the issues yep. to bi-weekly. And here's the project, here's the one thing that is, is issue, the issue for the project today. And, you know, maybe there's a couple things coming, but here's the one thing that we need to worry about. The leadership could, if they could do something about it, had a, a very simple way to me mechanism to, to resolve those and, and lead those forward. And, and I just fell in love with the concepts. I was involved pretty heavily on the implementation side. I worked with the project managers. I worked with the, the software. I was kind of a, a more of a gearhead than I am now um, in that regard. And and we really we really made that that thing and, and learned a lot about how to think about projects, how to think about how people work together because it's easy to think about projects as this thing over here. Right, over right, and as an abstract. And exactly, so you have to and it's people, it people. I love that. There's the other podcast of, that does people and projects, and there's that yeah, agile principle that it's really it's the people that do the work. It's not yep. all the processes. So yeah. I, that was a, a really important beginning of a discovery, and then. And then from there, I, I, I left the uh, pharma that particular company and, and continued on on my own. And I've worked with many, many types of companies in that arena. I've also done other theory of constraints related things, but but my 
first uh, love has always been the uh, the critical chain project management side of things. That's awesome. And, and for me, so again, I had I had no idea what this was until truthfully I picked up um, the book Hanging Fire, uh-huh. which is Jeff Cox, one of the co-authors of The Goal. He and you know the every the running joke is every talk book is all a narrative story, which makes it yeah. easy to get through, right? Many uh, many of them are. <laughs> Clark's is agile and talk, and then there's Epiphanize, which I have over here, which is which is talk uh, six sigma and uh-huh. and uh, what is it and lean. Um, and I had never heard of this before, whatever. And I have taken my PMP courses. I've done you know I got my masters in applied project management, and I was kind of like, well, how have I never heard of this before? And then I started digging in and then and that's when I reached out to Johanna Rothman, shout out to yeah. Johanna. And I said, Johanna, who do you know that does CCPM? And you were the first person she sent me. So the, the first thing I, I want to talk about, Jack, is the, the, the critical difference in nomenclature, where in the waterfall world, we have the critical path. Right. But CCPM is critical chain. Right. And can you, and, and this was the first question that somebody ever asked me and I kind of want you to answer it so I can know if my answer was spot on or not. But this, I think, kind of, not only set, it sets the the table, but it opens up the dialogue in the mind to, that there's there's a, a different way of doing things. Can you can you explain expand a bit about how you know there is what the difference is between a critical chain versus a critical path? Wow, so, I, I'm just thinking there, there's many ways to think about that. Even that question, the simplest is that critical chain uh, tries to account for resource availability in thinking about how long is the project. So if you only have one person on the team that knows, I don't know, pick your, you know, let's uh, close Java. closure, right? Java. Right, yeah, closure, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be modern, <laughs> <laughs> right? If, if, that, if there's really only one person on the team that knows that, maybe there's a different problem. And you, and you need to do, a, there's, there's two sequences of work that need a closure expert don't plan those things to be done at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's that's the simplest version of what critical chain is. There's a whole lot underneath that that we that we I think we need to talk about of, of what's really the difference between critical chain and critical path. There's a huge mindset difference between critical chain and, and critical path. And I think the 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 reason that people kind of have a a visceral negative reaction in the agile community about waterfall is that there's this belief, I think um, I've heard the, the phrase big design upfront, right? Mm-hmm. That we plan everything and everything will follow that plan regardless. And in critical chain, we're like, no, there's variability in the world. We know mm-hmm. there's variability in the world. We can't predict when there's gonna be variability in the world. We need to find, and, and the, I think the other big change, hopefully I'm not getting too excited. <laughs> the other big difference no, between the traditional waterfall critical path way of thinking and the critical chain way of thinking is that um, let's acknowledge that there's variability. Let's not let's not believe that we can drive all variability out and get perfect estimates of everything. And I think I know that's a big topic in the agile community as well. The idea of estimating mm-hmm. durations or times or whatever's. Um, but let's acknowledge that there is variability and find a, an appropriate way to manage that variability. And in this context of a, a, a project, which is a, more a sequence of work, I must do A before I can start B, before I can start C, right? And of course, there's, there's many paths that feed together, but the whole thing comes down to a, a successful delivery of the value of the project, whether that's a new physical object, a new drug that I can send to the market, a new you know, software delivery, the whole package, whatever mm-hmm. it is, um, all that has to sequence together and synchronize. And the 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 idea of, of managing the variability ends up in this idea of a buffer, which I think is, is something that we'll ca- talk about. The critical chain plan in some senses looks a bit different than a critical path plan, but otherwise there's still, you yeah, know, there's, there's a lot of, and, yeah. And you need to understand that there. Yeah, you need you still need to understand what what comes before what uh, right. to be able to build right. those plans. You can't just throw a list of tasks out on a wall and expect it to get done without understanding the sequence and the logic. Uh, you just talked about buffers, so I do want to go into that next. But I, I will use my example. My explanation was when someone asked me, "What's the difference between like waterfall and this and critical?" You know, why do you say critical yeah. chain versus critical path? My my explanation was when you think of waterfall and critical path, 
There's only one true acceptable way through the forest, right? Right. You can go off into the woods and it can get <laughs> dicey. And that's not to say that you won't find your way out of the forest, but that's the, that's the waterfall way of looking at it where there's a critical path. Whereas a critical, the critical chain to me, it was, there is one critical piece, which is your constraint, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about shortly. That is literally pulling the work through the system at the right pace. Yes. And the idea is of a chain is with a chain, there's actually, uh, it's not always stretched taut. There's, and we're going to talk about the buffers that, and that they, there's the ability to, and, and, you know, in the agile community, we talk a lot about leading indicators. I, that's one of the things that my, my spider yeah. sense ticked off when I read about this is, you know, we harp about leading versus lagging indicators and, and we're going to go, let's get into this now with waterfall. Almost everything is a lagging indicator. Well, yes. Jack, I had to hand this work off to you and I'm five days behind. So now my project is officially read, right? Whereas when you have a, a true buffer, you can actually, you will know by the buffer burn rate, the buffer utilization yep. rate, hey, things are kind of going sideways. So let's talk about, let's talk about the idea of buffers, Jack. Sure. They're, they're yeah. all over the place, but in its simplest form, it is what? Yeah. So in critical chain, it's a, the buffer is a time buffer. And this is usually typically the project buffer. There's, there's a couple other buffers as well in the, if you read the literature, but there's a time buffer at the end of the project. And in sort of the, the, the vanilla version of critical chain, the buffer is about a third of the duration of the, the time you allot to the project. So if you have allotted 120 days, 40 days of that is buffer and 80 days of that is project tasks. And the assumption is that I've allotted 120 days to the project, not 80. I've allotted that entire project time. And what I'll do exactly as you said, as I, as I continue uh, progressing through the project, as I get information, as things happen in the project, as, as we learn new things as we go, which we always do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another big assumption. I, I think it's, a, it's an issue. One of the issues I have with people who say all project management is bad is that there's the the uh the the way it's written or the way it's understood is that it's all it's fixed and that that causes a lot of angst for people and you know every task mm-hmm. has its own date and if i miss that date i get hammered um <laughs> so the i think in in real project in in good it's sort of good, good like, it's good project management good project management good, people yeah. people deal with this kind of stuff as well but it, i think it's it's not as visible or, or obvious. Um, it's, it's all done by the, I think what, what often happens is it's all done by the project manager and they, they like it's their project mm-hmm. and everybody else just does the work for them. Whereas I think in critical chain and, and actually any good project management and agile, it's, we're all working together for the same. Yes. Goal. Very and much. I it's think, very much um, egalitarian in its outlook. Yes. Yeah. So, so the question back about the buffer, the idea of the buffer is it's, it's showing me how am I, how am I making progress on the work? And how am I consuming that buffer at the end? So generally what we um, what we say is we say we fully expect to consume the full buffer. So again, I just used 120 days because that's nicely divides into one third and two thirds. Um, but if I've completed 20% of the longest chain, sorry, the critical chain, mm-hmm. there goes my clock. Uh, if I've completed 20% of the longest chain, but I've consumed 40% of the buffer already, that's already a wonderful indicator yes. for me that, hey, I'm consuming that buffer much faster than I'm getting work done. Awesome. That's great to know. It doesn't tell me I'm going to be late. It just tells me that I've consumed that buffer mm-hmm. more than I would expect to on an average flow. Now, but I can do wonderful things. I can look at, okay, well, what's remaining? Do I expect the same amount of variability in what's remaining? Now that we've gotten into the project, given what's remaining, can we, think, can we rethink it? Can we yes. rethink about how it sequences? How, how, what, how much time do we really think we're going to need? All these great questions that we should fully expect to ask. And I, I love this topic, as you can tell. Um, I think one of the things that that gets that that makes the shift from from critical chain or from waterfall sort of traditional project management, if there is such a thing, to the the critical chain mindset is that. When we start the work, we, we strive to finish it as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. right? So whatever, whether it's the project itself or it's a phase of the project or it's a task on the project, we strive to finish it as quickly as possible. And often um, if you read the critical chain literature, people really love the idea of the relay race, the relay race uh, yeah. 
analogy, but I pick up the baton. I've got my team. I've got the people that do the work. I've got all the uh, supporting resources and we move as quickly as possible. And again, I, I, I sometimes get a little worried about using the term resources because people get hung up on treating yeah. people yeah, as but resources. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I've got the skills and the capabilities and the and the, the everything lined up so that I can get the work done. And um, this is a real this is and I think this is a, a key aspect in Agile too. With Agile, yep. we we bring everybody together and get the work done. Right. With, right. Uh, with Critical Chain, this I think there's a biggest I, one of the things I think that bug me a little bit sometimes in Critical Chain is that each task still has an owner and it's theirs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, I see that. Yeah. But but really. It's our work, and yes, okay, yeah, you've got that. Act- you, you're the person with the current top skill that is needed on that activity. But I need all the inputs that everybody else provides. There's going to be help that I'm going to need that mm-hmm. I can't get it all. You know, in any modern project, we can't do it by ourselves. Um, I think there's still a little bit of that nature of, um, you know, my work is mine, and I need to protect it. Which yeah. is, by the way, which is where we get the buffer from. We get we, we so I already talked about. Um, making sure that we can complete the t- activity when we get it. So this is this is the idea of, of if you again the relay racer. Once they get the baton, there is nothing in their way until they hand it off to the next person. Right. But now we have fun conversations about what does done look like. And right, 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 <laughs> right. Which I know is a is a fun concept in uh, in in the agile in the agile world. world. Yeah, we're still arguing about that. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. The, the when I first came across the buffer concept, I you know I was kind of rolling it around in my head, and I thought about it. If you th- and and this is also my difference between you know traditional waterfall versus critical chain. In traditional waterfall, you have a buffer. It's implicit, and it, the reason it comes about is Jack, you're the head of this team. How long is this going to take to build? And you know it's going to take eight days. So you tell me 15. And then you tell me 15. And I add another week onto that. And I, you know, and I combine. So at the end of the day, to use your example, everybody on the project thinks we have 120 days. Whereas my my joke about critical chain, I said is it's it's at war with Parkinson's law. You're trying Absolutely. to prevent the work to fill the available space. So with a critical chain plan versus a traditional waterfall plan, instead of saying everybody knowing we have 120 days, everybody knows that, okay, we have 80 days and we have 40 days of buffer in the event that something goes wrong. And even just that tiny, it's almost a silly semantic argument makes a huge difference in perception. And and I mean, you know, you talked about estimates, right? That was the other thing that jumped out at me. You know, there's all these ever... Every agile nerd and their mother wants to argue about estimates, no estimates, some estimates, predictions, whatever, whatever. Yes. It, with critical chain, I love the concept of you go to the team that owns it, right? Or the person, we talked about that. And you say, well, how long is this going to take? And they don't give you one estimate, they give you two. They give you the, okay, if the stars align and my wife doesn't yell and I just happen to have everything ironed and ready, it'll take 10 days. Realistically, odds are it's going to take 15. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're starting to build your buffers out of because someone is giving you the, uh, I think it's the aggressive, but probable versus the, you know, uh, based upon a histogram, I can tell you that 95% of the time we deliver this and this. Yeah. This so, way. so this is, this is another, so that topic is one of those fun ones in the critical chain community as well. How, how do you get your estimates? What kinds of estimates do you, do you use two point estimates? There's one group that was doing three point estimates. There's, I, I've actually, I prefer just, you know what? Let's just use the estimates as the way we've guesstimated because it's guesses, it's guesses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's just guesstimate the way we now and and just there's assume that for any task of, of a decent duration, five, 10 days, there's so much time in there of I'm waiting for stuff, I'm multitasking, I don't have everything I need. I, my car broke down, <laughs> right? right? There's all of these things that cause the, if you look at the, we, we love this, we love our analogies, but if you look at the, 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 the real touch time to get the work done, it's a very small fraction of the 10 days or the 15 days or whatever it was, that was my estimate. So what we, what we suggested and, 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 and we're just, I'm just starting to use slightly different language here. Um, is instead of talking about, well, you've got buffer in the task and we're going to take some of that and give it to the project. We say, look, we want to get an, we want to have a estimate at the time of doing the work that is reasonably c- 
conceivable that I could get it done in that time, mm -hmm. but allow for the fact that, you know what, something might happen. That's what the buffer is for, the something might happen. And, and you said perfectly, right, we're trying, to, we're trying to reduce the likelihood of Parkinson's law striking, which is the work expands to fill the time. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to reduce the other one, which is student syndrome. Do you know this one, which is, no. I wait to the last possible minute to start. Oh yeah, that's welcome to my life. Yeah, <laughs> right. it, it's. I mean, they're very similar, right? Mm -hmm. I believe I have 15 days in my head. I know. Well, I've got all this other stuff that I've got to go on, and I really know that that's only going to take me three days. So I'm going to start about five days before it's due. And if I get it done on time, then all is golden, and I'm I, I get a pat on the back because you got it done on the right date. But in in the critical chain world, that that doesn't that doesn't fly anymore. Right. Get it done as fast as, as soon as, as soon as you are available to do the work and as, and you have everything you need to successfully complete it, get it done. Yep. So if you have to, if you have to wait for a few days because you're not, you're missing some piece of the, the kit to, to do the work, let people know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm not able to start this because I'm missing a document or I'm missing an approval mm -hmm. or my team member who's key to doing this work is actually doing working on a more important project right now. Which I'm gonna brings wait. up yeah bring up the perfect point of this is and this is where critical chain is is truly a kissing cousin to some of the stuff we we yeah. preach in the agile world. It's the idea of multitasking, oh right? The idea of um team Jack is on is on the critical path. They're on the critical chain for this piece. They can't be messing around with six or seven things because, in, and it's, again, we, we talk about the concept of being comfortable with having people be idle, you know, yes. be ready for the work to come in because that will, that will lead to a smoother transition. And that was another thing where I was like, well, I thought about my old days as a PM where January 2nd hits and everybody's got funding. So we start every project at once yes. and, and here now we're talking about talk, right? Theory of constraints comes in because I know that the biggest constraint is our automated pre-production testing. And right. all these projects are hammering this poor, these poor five guys all yes. at once because yes. we spun up everything at once. We had no concept of what the constraint was. And now, now everything is delayed. And now everybody has to go to that come to Jesus meeting at nine o'clock on Monday morning and explain to the executive vice president of solutions delivery, why is everything delayed? Yeah. And it's, that, it's not a good look. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful example. And, and, and that kind sorry, almost every project looks like design, build, test, mm -hmm. launch or release, or, you know, send it to the store or whatever. Right. Um, and when we when we do that, and, and many, many, many companies are in that mode of operation of we release all the projects when we get funding, and all the projects magically take a funding period to finish. <laughs> exactly, right? Whether it's uh, a year or six months yep. or whatever it is. That's um, the whole monster of I got this much budget, I have to use it, I committed to this project in January, I have to deliver it, even though uh, COVID-19 happened and I kind of don't need it because my entire world has changed, but yeah. I committed to this and yes. here's where it gets ugly. My incentive is based upon me delivering that. So we just do it anyway. Yep. So we've just, we've introduced about a zillion variants on, on the critical chain uh, topic. We could talk about multi-projects. We could talk more about um, I think we've probably hammered the buffer pretty well. Yeah. Um, there's more of course with that topic. Um yeah, let's talk about multi. Let's talk about multi projects, yeah. Jack. Because I mean, let's 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 call a space, babe. Right. So first of all, there's a lot of agile practitioners who want to throw out everything project manager related. Yes. Right. You're painting with a broad brush, right? Don't yep. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, uh, the best example I can give to every agilist I know is I used to work at a company that did branded credit cards, right? Mm -hmm. So you came to us and we did like the Jack Vincent Inc. Mastercard. Yeah. While the software delivery was done in an iterative fashion, we were chunking out the work and banging through that as fast as possible. There was still a concept of creatives need to be done. The marketing needs to be created. The ads have to go out. Like, so there is some mm -hmm. concept of a, um, a chain of work, a path yes. of work. And Absolutely. to say that, oh, you know, we're in the post-project world and everything's going to be agile is kind of naive and ignorant, I think, and a little bit um, delusional, delusional. So a lot of companies still have, I mean, again, if you still fund projects, you still have project managers, you're not going to get away from it. So let's yeah. talk about how to how to do this, how to apply this this critical chain thinking. Um, and I, I know this is where the constraint comes into play because I've read the book in multi-project environments. Right. So um, how much? So um, in in a project, the constraint is however long it takes you to get the project done. 
And in for critical chain, that is the longest sequence of work, mm -hmm. including resource consumption plus the buffer. So that's the constraint of any one project. But now if you start thinking, okay, I'm gonna be running multiple projects through the same set of people, right? The same teams, whether, and by the way, inside the company, contractors, um, vendors, right? All of this are, are the, the, the pool of skills and people and technology and equipment that I need to run these projects through. Now, if you think that they're all doing some version of design, build, test, launch, right? I need to design my creative. I need to test it with consumers and then launch it or integrate it with the software mm -hmm. or, you know, all these things have to integrate. Now you can start looking across all these projects, assuming you have a project plan that describes what skills and resources you need and say, well, okay, if I have 10 of these projects running at the same time, which types of resource, and again, I'm, I'm using resource more broadly, not only skills, but it could be which types of vendor, which types of equipment, which types of servers, do, do I see where I need you know, if, if I run them all exactly at the same time and they're all the same duration, which by the way, no projects are all really the same duration. We make them that way as we were just describing. Um, where, do the, where do the highest peaks come on those key resources? And in, you know, typically uh, in, the, in the classical theory of constraints world with like a, a manufacturing operation, we, we typically say there is pretty much gonna be one constraint in the flow of, an, of a manufacturing facility. Um, in projects, we find that it, it's at least one. Sometimes there's one at the early phases of the project, like the designer or the architect, mm -hmm. because they're needed across all these projects to really understand how are these going to synchronize together. And there may be may even be um, integration points even across projects. But I, I should probably stop with that one. <laughs> and then you might have something at the end, like you said, like a release engineer or other activity that's a key role that is going to be heavily loaded if we stack all these projects on top of each other. So the key idea with the constraint is, well, number one, we find out where it is. Um, and, and I think um, I'm thinking of like the, the Phoenix project, which was the one architect was yep, yep. the constraint for the entire system. Um, and we do two things. And I, and I think the Phoenix project does a nice job of describing this. One is we make sure that we don't release work to those constraint areas. We want to make sure that they're not multitasking. Mm -hmm. So maybe up front, it's an architect and the back end, maybe the back end is a, is a vendor service that I bought, but I've only bought so much of it. And now I, I don't want to smash overload them because then everything takes longer to understand what multitasking means. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now I want to stagger the release of the work so that all of those projects get done in the timing that I need them and deliver the value accordingly, right? So now I'm going to stagger the first one, the highest value project, then the next value project. And maybe that even means I'm going to pull in a project a little bit earlier to allow, to maybe uh, take advantage of a, of a low period or something like mm -hmm. that. So now I can start really thinking about how do I want to manage my portfolio of work? The other thing that I wanted to highlight is if we know where our constraint is, like it's, it's, it's a very small group or it's a key skill that is really hard, you know, maybe it's somebody that's trained in the industry forever. I don't know. We're still all doing COBOL for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> cool. it's not. It's never going to go away. It's exactly. never going to go away, <laughs> right? Or you know, it, it, my 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 uh, my I was I, I my dad just passed away last year, but he was still doing Fortran programming because he loved it. And I occasionally come over and you now you know his fingers were getting sloppy and he was making uh, typos, but I was able to help him have some fun. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry, sidetrack. Um, the other thing we want to make sure is that when that constraint is active, again typically people in, in the context of projects, we're, if they're the constraint, we're giving them gold. They're, and we're giving them only things that they can do. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. the other stuff, if it's stuff that you know, maybe a junior team can work on or a junior person with that skill, maybe it's an easier assignment. Let's pull, let's not make sure that they're not working on the easy stuff. Let's make sure that they're working on the stuff that's really hard, that nobody yep. else can figure out. And and I, I think that in the Phoenix project, what they described was, and there's always somebody watching over their shoulder so that they can learn the hard stuff too. Yeah. So that we're not, particularly if it's, if it's a constraint of one, um, but even if it's like a, a vendor that we've got uh, outsourced capability to, we, we give the vendor what they need. We ask the vendor, Hey, what is it that you need so mm -hmm. that you can be successful in completing this for us? Because by the way, the more, 
you're successful in completing it for us, the more likely it is that we're going to bring you more work. So right, it's good the work for them. doesn't stop. It's just, it's how we <laughs> see it. The work isn't right, going to stop. Right, right. That, Are we giving them the right stuff? Do we, if they have a question, do we get back to them right away? Or do we get back to them next week? Yeah. Right. This, this is where the agile monster comes into play. Yep. Yep. And we delay a response. We've just lost all sorts of time for it all just waiting time that we've just lost. And, I, and the other one is, is some version of uh, clear scope, right? So if, we, if we're working with, particularly with vendors that, you know, here's really what we want you to do. This is what we want you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, mm -hmm. and, and don't keep, don't keep changing it on them, right? How many times do we do that to our vendors yeah. or to, even yeah. to our colleagues? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of it's kind of sad and kind of amusing. I've always said that you do this IT shit long enough. There's a there's a sitcom. There's a ten season sitcom in there. <laughs> if anybody would just slow down to read the book about how to write a uh, how to write a, a script. Um, but you talk about you know you talk about uh, the constraint, right? And it's typically mm -hmm. it's typically either one person or it's a team. And the thing that it keeps coming up in every single one of these episodes we've done in the series is time lost on the constraint is revenue lost. You're not going to get yeah. back. So yeah. you need to keep them busy at a measurable pace. And the, and the other side of that is um, I read, I came across a statement where is increase through when you increase your throughput, you're making time. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And then when I nice. dove into it, it's, you know, like back to our example, if I say it's going to take, if we think it's going to take a uh, 80 days with a, with a 40 day buffer. So 120 days total, mm -hmm. we tell the customer it takes 120 days. It takes 96. Well, what does that give us? Well, that gives us 24 days back. Now the customer's happy. We can then fill that 24 days by, and here's where the agile comes in, shifting the next program left. Yes. So we've actually, um, we've created higher throughput with no change to our current operating model expense. We haven't, we have, we didn't ramp up a whole bunch of people and drive Fred right. Brooks nuts, right? Trying to throw people at a project. Um, <laughs> we've shifted left. We've started new things earlier and we're filling that free time with an initiative that might not have gotten done. Again, we're making time, we're making more money. Yes. And, and when I, 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 I tried to pitch this back to somebody else, I said, think about it. We're not spinning up new teams. This yeah. is people that we currently have that the cost that we're expecting, but now we're getting more work out of them. And it was kind of like all these like fireworks started going off. It's like, cause everybody does the whole OPEX dance. Oh, we need you to increase your throughput and minimize your operating expense. Let's kill some, let's cut off some contractors. And it's like, wow. We're talking about well, and, this and is so, yeah you 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 hit on it perfectly right so if if I'm able to see that uh, hey this pro this particular project looks like it's moving much faster it's completed fifty percent of the of the of the work on the longest chain but it's only consumed I don't know twenty five percent of the buffer it's a now it's going to hey it looks like this one's going to potentially finish early how can we take advantage of that can we can can we now start you know again with a judicious look at the remaining work, can we can we promise that this one's going to be delivered early and start thinking about what's the next one that's going to maybe pull in a little bit earlier? How do we be, you know, how do we take advantage of this? And even in, in planning, we can start thinking about, hey, you know what? I love the claim that nobody's going to pay for it earlier if we get it done early, which I'm like, well, why did we, why are we doing any, that's, a, that's another fun guy. But even if it's really true that nobody's going to pay for it before July 1st, because it's a, a financial year turnover thing, mm -hmm. um, maybe we can start it a month later and do, you know, right. and do something else. Right. So that 24 days you just described, we can use it in either place. If now, now, if we start seeing this repeatability and this, this behavior in our overall flows, maybe we have some opportunities to take advantage of at the, the front end and not worry, not worry, not get so worried about, um, you know, excuse me, cost of delay at the back end. And of course, the other fun thing is understanding what the project is. I think most of the critical chain literature doesn't make it or makes a makes an assumption that it's obvious what why the project is what it is. It makes an assumption that everybody knows what the goal is. Everybody knows the value. And I've been finding in, in some circumstances that even having the conversation about is it clear what the goal is? What are we really delivering? What is the cus customer, and not only you know the the requester, but the customer, the the, the person that's going to buy the end result of this? What do they really want? And what are they getting out of this project? And of course, from a financial terms, what's the value of it? You know, value per day. What's the cost of you know the cost of delay potentially? What's the yep. value of bringing it in early? Um, why, you know, why is that date so interesting to you? What, you know, you've told me you want it to be done on, on, I don't know, July 15th. What's, what's interesting about that date? 
oh, it's because there's a regulation coming in and we need, mm -hmm. oh, great, that's great to know. Now, if we miss that date, it's a huge penalty. And if we're early, it's gonna, it's gonna give us some buffer. So that's good to know, right? So we need to know these, these kinds of things or, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm selling this to a retailer and the retailer wants to get it on their shelves before high season, whatever the high, you know, the, the before school right. high season or the Christmas high season or the it's candy and it's the Easter high season or whatever it might be. Right, right. And I just had, you know, I just had this conversation with um, with Graham, was Graham Scott, when we were talking about the idea of throughput accounting yes. and using that whole concept of, uh, of decision making based upon, okay, well, what's going to be the most judicious for me? And your, your statement of, well, maybe I can start this project later and fill that buffer with other stuff. That was the first time I'd ever heard somebody say, well, we can start things later. It's like the first time you ever hear, um, uh, I just sent it to Graham. Um, Steve Tendon had a great quote. We were talking about, um, we talk about his, his uh, tame flow Kanban and, you mm -hmm. know, utilization and all that. And Steve made a remark where he goes, I'm putting this on a poster. He goes, because we were talking about the whole idea of, you know, I'm paying for people and people need to be busy, but you're going to pay for them regardless if they're busy or not. And yes. if it's, if it's for the benefit of this process, it makes sense to have them do nothing. And Steve said, well, if you have nothing to do, just, just go fishing. And, and I, I, I'm putting that on a poster because he's right. I mean, it, yep. it's, you, you you do more harm than good. Just picking up something and pushing it into the process because I've got idle hands. Yeah. Whereas measuring what's at the constraint and getting the flow through the system is way more important. Way yeah, more important. it's and it it another fun conversation in the in the theory of constraints community around around that. Um, you know, if if I really have nothing to do, and I'm really like in that flow mindset of you know, when it comes to me, I'm going to pick it up and move it, move it as quickly as I can to done, to really done, 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 and hand it off, right? If I really have nothing to do, I don't have any um, shadowing to do, I don't have any education I need to do, is it okay to sit up with my feet on the table and my head, you know, just thinking in the clouds? And you know what? Yes, it has mm -hmm. to be okay. We, we, we get so wrapped up in, you're right, the, the, the idle resource is a waste yeah, picture. And that mindset, if, if that's deeply embedded in, in me or in my company, that mindset drives us to start more and more and more, which drives us to multitask, which dri almost inevitably drives us to the way of operation that we're trying to, I'm, I'm going to say fight against, which is mm -hmm. every task has a due date. And if you miss the due date, the task is read. Like, I don't care if the task missed a, missed a date. Is it going to affect the flow yes. of the project? And yes. is it going to affect that's the, value the one the that I'm more interested in? That's the topic that, that, you know, that I'm interested in. How is, how is this going to affect the flow? Anything we can do to improve the flow of the project and of, of the work in general is going to help us, right? And now yes. we think, okay, what's going to improve the flow of the project? It's on the critical chain. And even if the critical chain changes halfway through the project, there's still the critical chain. Yep. It's a, it may be a different one than what we started with, but it's still, here's the, here's the place that I need to focus. It's this task followed by it's all of its successors. That's now that's what's driving the critical chain. That's what's driving the buffer status. And now I have something to work against. And, and you know, that's a great segue into, so why my ears, my spider sense perked up when I was reading this, especially coming from the agile world is um, there is a lot of, applicability in the sense of, you know, we, the people, the, the adult, agile dogmatists will preach from the mountains about you have cross-functional co-located teams. Yes. Maybe in startups that happens, maybe in small companies that happens, maybe in a company where you have a very hard-headed CIO that will beat people with reads if they don't, if they don't have a cross-functional team, it happens. In real life, totally cross-functional teams really doesn't happen. There's always a dependency somewhere, right? So if there's always going to be a dependency somewhere, this is where my agile nerd went off. Right, you know, I say got your Irish up. I got my agile nerd up because <laughs> there's always a constraint somewhere. I'm always going to have a dependency with somebody, and typically, multiple agile teams on trains, they always end up at the same bottleneck, trying to get work through. Right? Is it yeah. is it performance engineering? Is it infosec? Is it somebody? Right? But that that concept still applies. So if I build my chain to understand what the, what's on the critical chain, right. And I'm still doing iterative development. I'm still doing agile and all my little pieces. Right. Um, but I'm explicitly acknowledging the fact that there is a buffer. There is a constraint somewhere when we need to actively manage that constraint. Cause what's the saying? If, uh, if, if you're, 
if you're not aware of your constraint, your constraint is managed, you know, you do have a constraint and it's managing you. don't manage you. your constraint, yeah. it's managing you. Yeah. yeah. That I think is highly relevant to any of us that's in, in an agile world. You're doing safe, you're doing less, yeah. whatever. There is still going to be a constraint somewhere and you need to be aware of it. And that the utilization of that constraint, that team, that even that train should drive how you plan everything else. And there does need to be some semblance of plan. And that's where I was like, wow, this is, this is applicable with what I do. Well, and, and I think the other, the other thing that sometimes is hard for people to grasp is that that, you know, the constraint, whether it's one constraint towards a couple of areas, right? Those are precious resources to the value that the company is delivering. So we need to treat them as such. And, and this is where, because then of course, people, everybody else will say, well, what about me? What about me? What about us? Like, yeah, everybody's got to dance together to get the project done. But if, if the release engineers, if we treat them poorly, and again, not necessarily human poorly, but if we, we don't give them what they need, if we're yep. asking them to do 20 things when they can only possibly do five, right? All, all that, that poorly then the whole system suffers, including the people who aren't to the constraints, because now they're, they're, they're feeling like they're pressured mm -hmm. to get into their queue. So now they're going and harassing them and <laughs> draining even more of their time. So yep, we really yep. need to think about when, when we know what our constraint is, and again, we manage our constraints well, that we really treat them like gold, right? So we don't yeah. give them poor requirements. We don't give them poor specifications or maybe the reverse, I should say, we, what we, what do we do when we give them something? It has, it's everything that we know that they need. And, and we've talked to them about what we know that they need. This is, this is a great example. Even if um, our constraint isn't maybe the technical people, but um, in, in some of the, 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 the critical chain and, and theory of constraints literature, sometimes you'll see management as the ultimate constraint. Mm -hmm. And which is an interesting concept in itself. But if I need, if I believe that I need to go to a manager to get some approval or some decision made, what do I bring to them? Do I just say, here, give me, I'm going to just do the data dump onto the manager and please, please make a decision for me now. They're going to look at me like, wait a minute, you guys on the team know you generated all this data. You know more about this project than I could ever really possibly know. Please bring to me a recommendation, a, mm -hmm. some guidance, some, give me some options, some, you know, give me not just the one number, but the variation on that number, whatever, give me something that I can really use to help guide you, the team on what is reasonable to do. And now the other one, of course, is maybe we shouldn't be going to management as much as we think we should, but that's a different, that's, a, that's another. Yeah, that's now. a whole different, it's a whole different other monster. Because um, of course, but, going to management, what does that do? It creates a, another queue of wait time in the project. Yes. Again, because if I believe I need to have that meeting, then I need to schedule it three weeks in advance because they never have time on their calendar. And of course, I'm believing that I'm subordinating myself to my manager's job or my direct the director's time. Mm -hmm. And and really, in in a in a well run, I believe this happens in agile communities and in companies. In a well run theory of constraints company, the managers are subordinating to the flow of value. Yeah. So uh, if it, you have a decision yeah. to make. I'm I'm ready for you. You bring me what I need so I can make so I can make right. a reasonable decision. But uh, don't wait for me. Right. Make the right. decision and tell me about it. And if it was wrong, I got your back. Uh, yeah, it's the whole inverted. You know, it's the whole inverted leadership pyramid where it's more. It's not. It's not a pyramid of hierarchy, but it's a support structure. Like think about like a net under a net under a net. Um, the the other thing, and I, I think I'll we'll probably close up with this. Um, the other thing about theory of constraints that I found so fascinating is, is being aware of this conceptually leads to a more humane way of working. You know, we talk a lot about mental models and, and, you know, theory X and theory Y people. If I know that my team is the constraint, right? We are the ones who everyone is leaning on, right? Everyone else also, and everyone else knows that we interact with each other in a more humane way because everybody knows that I know that I am, for lack of a better term, the weak link in the chain. I'm the one where all yeah. the stressor is put on. Yeah. So, okay, well, we're not going to start 8,000 things and come to Jay every, like you said, every 10 minutes ask questions because Jay's team is that busy. There's a, there's a, there's almost a tacit acknowledgement of we're creating flow without using the F word. 
because we're just humanely treating people the way I would want to be if I was in that seat. Yes. And it's, it's a totally different, I, I hope this, I hope the theory of constraint stuff makes a resurgence. Um, I did have this, you know, I was talking to Clark Ching and we were talking about this as you know, with it, without Ellie being around, there's a, that's a big drain, right? Because yeah. he was a ginormous personality. And now it's, it's, I'm kind of hoping it doesn't get lost by the wayside. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the series is we want to elevate some people's knowledge and familiarity awesome. with it because hopefully somebody who hasn't seen it before gets something out of it. So um, Jack, we're quickly approaching time. It's getting late here on the East coast. Um, if our listeners want to find you, if they have questions, um, if they want to follow your work, um, if they want to, if they want to reach out and get in touch, what's the best way to, to locate you? Uh, I am Jack Vinson, just about everywhere. J A C K V I N S O N. That's my blog, which I've kind of let go fallow, but it's still there. Um, it's my Twitter handle. It's my Facebook handle. It, I don't like hanging out there as much as I hang out there. Um, that's what I am on uh, a LinkedIn. But if jackvinson.com, that'll find me. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. So um, Jack, on behalf of all of our listeners, I want to thank you for taking your time. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Johanna Rothman for connecting us. Um, she really is. Uh, uh, she's like my, my Rolodex without being my Rolodex. Uh, so thank you to Johanna. Thank you again to Jack for, for taking your time. Um, on behalf of myself and Jack, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. We talk project management on the Agile podcast, um, which is kind of weird, but I think if you're all thinking the way I'm thinking, you can see where this fits. And to that point, I want to remind everyone we have a very, very vibrant Discord server where we are talking about this sort of stuff actively. So if you came across something that you agree with, you disagree with, you vehemently deny, you want to talk about it, come on to the server and let's chat about it. Uh, just remind everyone, um, if you like what you heard, please give us a review, a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Audible, your podcasting platform choice. It does help others find us. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Machine Man Records and their artist Krebs who provided our outro music free of charge, helping us circumvent our YouTube um, copyright notification, copyright notices. And lastly, I kind of have to throw this in there. Uh, we are completely self-funded. However, we do have a Patreon. So if you like what you heard and you want to chip in, uh, feel free to sign up. I'll put the link in the show notes. You will probably get a uh, sticker package in the mail, some some tchotchkes from me, and there will be a Theory of Constraints Takasan sticker in there. So once again, I want to thank Jack for, for coming on. On behalf of Jack and myself, I want to thank all of you listeners. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out. <laughs>